السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام والتمان الاكملان على خير خلق الله أجمعين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن سار على سبيله ونهجه واستنى بسنته واهتدى بهديه لا يوم الدين وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد Welcome everyone to our third lesson of this fifth year of QP, Quranic Progression. And insha'Allah ta'ala, before we begin with today's lesson, just a couple of, or one major thing that we're going to go through, which is the exam results, which I have, alhamdulillah, before me. So the exam was a couple of weeks ago, and then we had the deferred exam, I think it was last weekend, I believe. For those people that couldn't take the original exam, there was a deferred exam. Alhamdulillah, we have all the results in now. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to go through the whole exam or even some of the exam unless someone has any particular question regarding the exam. So if someone has a question about one of the the questions that was on the exam paper uh, and someone has anything that they want clarified, then by all means, please feel free to to put it into the comments box and inshallah ta'ala will go through that. Uh, But just to, uh, you know, just in the interests of uh, saving time and not going through the whole exam unless there's something which people need clarification with I think inshallah ta'ala that the exam uh, was pretty straightforward uh, one of the things that uh, mashallah is nice to see in exams so one of the you know like the alhamdulillah we have this portal system which a lot of time and effort and money has gone into and it's a uh, you know it's the way that we connect each and every single week it's the way that we kind of come together uh, however one of the drawbacks in my uh, my personal opinion uh, is that it's difficult to understand how many people are online at once and where they come from and which countries they're from and so on. And to some extent, the Telegram group has made up for that, so that's good. Like, we can kind of communicate easier uh, on the Telegram group. But one of the things that I enjoy about reading out the exams, or at least getting the exam results uh, posted to me, is that we actually see the the width and the breadth uh, of the students that we have at Quranic Progression, uh, the different countries they come from, and even within countries, the different states and cities that they they come from so we get that information the exam and where it was taken and so on and that's something which is amazing to see um uh, you know just like mashallah the variety of people that we have and from the different countries that we have so we obviously have the uk uh but we have like the uae we have malaysia we have a number of people from the us from pakistan from the philippines mashallah we have uh, malaysia we have canada we have saudi arabia we have Jordan, we have Singapore, um, and then we have, you know, all sorts of like countries, um, you know, even like uh, Ghana and, and a number of other places, Pakistan, I don't know if I mentioned that already. So it's 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 amazing to see, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, that from the blessings of technology and the way that Allah Azza wa has given us this blessing, that it can be used in such a way where, you know, previously if you wanted to go and study or you wanted, uh, or someone like a sheikh had to go and teach someone, either the student or the teacher would have to travel a great distance and that's something which still obviously goes on and it's still something which people do but at the same time for things that need to be more regular we can have uh, we can have like lessons and we can have uh, knowledge that's streamed across the world from from one location and many people can benefit from that live and obviously online and offline as well so to go through the exam results um I'm going to go through the top five. So I'm going to go through the top uh, the top five exam results that we had. So these were people who have uh, had ninety percent and above. Um, I'll, I'll just suffice with the five. Uh, there's obviously a long list here. So rather than going through everyone's name, we'll just go through like the top five. So the first uh, or oh, in fifth place. Let's do this in reverse order. Uh, in fifth place, and I'm going to apologize in advance if I pronounce people's names incorrectly. Uh, so please accept my apologies if I if I don't announce your or pronounce your name correctly. But in fifth place, we have Madavi Ruperelia, I believe. Madavi Ruperelia from the US, from uh, New Jersey. That was They were in fifth place. In fourth place, we have Suad Zaman uh, from the US. In third place, we have Widad Zaman, also from the US. I don't know if there's a relation uh, there with the same surname, or if it's just like uh, just uh, one of those occurrences. Uh, in second place, we have Fawzia Saeed from Canada, from Windsor. And in first place, we have Hasia, mashallah, from Ghana. Um, so those were the five top uh, exam results. 
Alhamdulillah, everyone that did the exam, mashallah, got like a good result, alhamdulillah. And everyone did a good job, mashallah, tabarakallah. And, you know, doing an exam is never easy. Uh, especially this type of exam where you're not obligated to do one. So if you go to school or you're at university or if it's part of your job that you have to do some type of qualification of these exams, you don't really have a choice and you have to kind of put in the work and effort. But exams that you don't necessarily have to do, there's not really any, you know, pressure on top of you to, to sit that exam. There's no real... Uh, there's no real end, you know, like benefit in terms of it's not nothing to do with your job. You're not going to get paid. You're not going to uh, get a promotion. There's no real, uh, real materialistic incentive to do so, but you still do it. I think that requires a lot of dedication and discipline and commitment as well uh, to what it is that you're doing. So may Allah Azza wa Jalla bless all of you who took the exam, irrespective of the results that you got. May Allah Azza wa Jalla bless you for at least making the effort and, and trying your best to to take the knowledge that you've learned and revise it. And for those of you that weren't able to take the exam for whatever reason, uh, you know, the most important thing to me, the exam is a very good way of getting you to revise. And it's something which I always think is, especially in our time and, and age, is good for people to do so. But, you know, if you couldn't for one reason or another, as long as you're still revising that knowledge, or even if you, for example, don't sit the exam, but you attended the revision lessons, or you're going through the notes that we have on the portal, or you're taking part in the quizzes that the... Uh, you know, the team's always putting up every day or every couple of days on the Telegram group. You're kind of actively engaging with the content and you're revising and so on and so forth. That's like one of the most important things. And so it's something which you should do because knowledge which isn't revised will be lost. It's just as simple as that. One of the greatest benefits of teaching and one of the major strong points of teaching in my personal view and in the view of many others, I'm sure, is that you get to revise the knowledge that you've learned yourself. And so the first person that often benefits is the teacher. And I found from, from people that I found to be very extremely uh, extremely um, you know, proficient in, in the knowledge that they teach, the they're experts in their field and so on. One of the major reasons of that, of their expertise is because of the amount of times that they've had to teach. And that teaching then, then forces you to research and to revise and to make notes and to go over those notes and to expand upon those notes and summarize those notes. And all of those things a person has to do when they're teaching content. That process in and of itself is something which you know you have to do. So some of the scholars that I came across who were experts, for example, in Sahih al-Bukhari, they knew Sahih al-Bukhari, you know, inside out, just the way that, you know, one of us would, would you know, we know like uh, just a small like book that we've read like a hundred times or a, a nursery rhyme that we memorize as little kids and it's only like four or five lines anyway. These scholars knew Bukhari, 7,000 odd hadith, they knew it in that way. They were so familiar with it and which hadith was in which uh, chapter and where how many times it's repeated and it's narrators and everything about it. And the reason is that they would, once or twice a year, they would teach Bukhari. So if you're teaching Sahih Bukhari, uh, you know, like twice a year and you've done that for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you're going to be an expert in any subject uh, if that's the case. And so that's something which is also important. And if you don't, uh, if you don't, you know, if you were to ask the, the scholars, like, what's the best way of, of revising knowledge, they would say teach it. One of the best ways of revising knowledge is to teach that knowledge. But if you don't teach and you don't revise, then it's something which will be lost over time. Uh, it's just simple. It's just as simple as that. It's just something which is going to be lost over time, especially the more that you learn. Because the more that you learn and the more sciences that you take on and the more different pathways that you take on, all of those things that happen, what happens eventually is you come to a point where it's just so much information that sooner or later some of that, you know, because none of us or, you know, the vast majority of us don't have the memory of the like of Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah or al-Zuhri or those scholars of the past who could just, you know, memorize and they would almost have photographic memory. In fact, some of them probably did have photographic memory. For the vast majority of us, it requires a lot of time and effort and hard work. And so one of those things that happens then is as you learn more, you start to forget some of that stuff, especially stuff that you haven't revised over a long time. And this is something which you will find in all of the Islamic disciplines. I remember our teachers of fiqh used to say that the scholars of fiqh say that if in order for you to be a faqih or a well-rounded jurist, you must study or revise all of the chapters of fiqh at least once a year. So once a year you're going through a book of fiqh. It doesn't have to be a very big book, but one of those books of fiqh so that you can go through all of the chapters of fiqh once a year. And the people that teach Bukhari will tell you the same. The people that teach, for example, Qiraat will tell you the same. That if you want to be someone who is well-grounded in the Qiraat of the Qur'an, even if you have the Qiraat, you've studied the Qiraat and you've done the Qiraat with the teacher, until you're revising over the Qiraat once a year, you're, you're going over the Qiraat once a year, every year, 
then it's something you'll find. <coughs> Excuse me. Then it's something that you will find that you will lose over time. And so that's something which you will you will see that the scholars of Qiraat would say as well. They would say that it's something which you have to do each and every single day. And this is what I found amongst the scholars that I've interacted with, that I found to be experts in their different fields. This is what they've been doing. And sometimes we're very, uh, you know, sometimes we're very eager or we're very impatient. And we look at a scholar who's a master in, in whichever field, in fiqh, in tafsir, in hadith, and we're like, we want to be like them. And we want to we want to get to that level of knowledge and we want to get to that level of mastery. But what we fail to realize is that that sheikh is now in his 60s or in his 70s or sometimes in his 80s or even, you know, at the very least in his 40s and 50s. This is someone who's been doing this for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And now they've got to that stage. So for someone who's just started today, you're not going to get to that stage tomorrow or next week or even next year. And that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards and he blesses those people who show that level of dedication to knowledge and that level of uh, that level of, of hard work and commitment to Islamic knowledge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses them. And that blessing comes over the years as they continue to dedicate themselves to that knowledge. So, um, you know, the, the point being here, that the most important thing, the lesson for us all to take is the importance of revising knowledge. Uh, whatever that knowledge be, be it tafsir, be it fiqh, be it hadith, be it whatever it may be, it is important for you to uh, study and to revise that knowledge and all of us do this in, in your you know in your profession you're going to have continuous professional development you're going to continuously be going through stuff that's going to help you revise but also to help you to uh, to to improve yourself and to better yourself in that particular field and Islamic knowledge is very similar if you don't revise and you don't continue to study and you don't continue to improve then you will become stagnant or you will start to go backwards in reverse so last week <coughs> Last week we um, began the tafsir of Surah Al-Ghashiyah. We went through the uh, we went through some of the introductory points regarding the names of Surah Al-Ghashiyah, by which it's known, and we said that it's a surah that is Makki by ijma' by consensus of the scholars, and we mentioned its importance within our religion in the fact that it's mentioned as being a one of those surahs that it is the Sunnah and it is recommended to recite in certain salawat, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam chose Surah Ghashi as being one of those oft-repeated surahs that he would use in certain salawat, like the Eid prayer, and like the Jumu'ah prayer, uh, and like, you know, some would say therefore istisqa, and some of those other prayers, salawat, this is one of the, the common surahs that the Prophet ﷺ would recite until our time today. You find that the Imams still recite this surah very commonly in their Jumu'ah prayer, the Eid prayer, and in certain other salawat. And so this is therefore a surah that is, uh, you know, that we're very familiar with. So we began last week with the tafsir of the surah, and I think we covered verse number one only, if I remember correctly. And we mentioned how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins the surah with the word hal, and how the scholars of Arabic language said that hal can either be a question or a statement. It can either come with the meaning of have you, or so it's, it's posed as a question, or it can come as the meaning of qad, that indeed or surely uh, the overwhelming news has come to you. And so therefore, both of those meanings you will find amongst some of the scholars of, of tafsir. And we said that the word ghashiya is a word in the Arabic language which means to completely overwhelm, or to completely overcome, or to completely, uh, to completely engulf something. That is the meaning of the word ghashiya. And we mentioned last week why the scholars said that it's called ghashiya. Uh, is it because it encompasses everyone? Is it because of... Um, you know how that that uh, the punishment of, for the people of the fire will be encompassing them from all directions, whatever it may be. But all of that, essentially, as we uh, concluded last week, the statement of Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, that as Allah Azza wa has left that as something which is open and something which is general, then likewise we should also accept the tafsir of that verse as being open and being general as well. So in verse number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, Allah goes on to say in verse number two, uh, according to the translation of Abdul Halim, Professor Abdul Halim, on that day, there will be downcast faces. And the translation of <coughs> Sahih International, some faces that day will be humbled. And Mufti Taqi, many faces that day will be humbled. And uh, Muhsin Khan, some faces that day will be humiliated. And then in brackets in the Hellfire, i.e. the faces of all disbelievers, Jews, 
and Christians. Uh, the statement of Allah Azza wa Wujuh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, says, and He He specifies specifies in this verse, verse number two, a particular part of the body. So when Allah Azza wa is now speaking about these people, and we, you know, as we know from the context of these verses, that it's referring to the disbelievers and the people of the fire, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala specifies not all of them, but He specifies the faces, Wujuh. Allah Azza wa mentions wujuh and the meaning of the word wujuh obviously linguistically it means faces but the meaning means all of them it means all of those people so Allah Azza won't just punish people's faces on the, in the fire it's all of them obviously as Ibn Ashur rahimahullah ta'ala said إِذْ يُكَنَّا بِالْوَجْهِ عَنِ that because the word face is often used to refer to the whole body and the word face, and we've, I think we've had uh, examples of this before. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies the forelock or the forehead, right? And the Arabs sometimes specify the nose. You know, like even in English, we say you're sticking your nose up at someone or rub your nose into something or whatever. So there are certain parts of the body that are used, not because you're specifically referring to that literally, but because it is a metaphor for the general body or it's a metaphor for something else. And so therefore, likewise, wujuh amongst the Arabs, because the most uh, important or the most uh, you know the, the part of the body that you most honor that you have most pride about is your face and your appearance even when it comes to your appearance the first thing that people will look at is their face so they will make sure that their face looks good they will make sure you know their facial hair looks good they will make sure that their hair which is attached to their head which is again part of that face that this whole uh, head and face is part of one uh, one thing and so they will make sure that that is that that is presentable all of those things are one of the first things that we look at before we look at the rest of our body and our clothes and so on. And so that's something which you will see even till today. And that's because the first thing that you usually notice about someone is their face. If you come across someone, the way that we recognize people is through their face. The way that we will, you know, the way that we will uh, read someone is through their facial expressions. The way that we will come across a stranger and see whether this person is welcoming to us or whether maybe they're a danger to us or maybe they're not so welcoming or whatever it may be, it is often through the face. And we often judge people also based upon their face. Because when it comes to things like beauty, or ugliness, or whatever you want to call all of these things that people often judge other people by, it is often done through the facial features. That's how, you know, that's, as, as Arabs say, it is majma'ul jamal. It is the place where all of the beauty or lack thereof is found. So someone, you know, no one says, oh, you know, uh, I mean, someone may have like very nice hands or may very nice shoulders or other parts of the body, but people don't look at that when someone asks, is that person handsome? Is that person beautiful? Is that person pretty? What they're referring to usually most of the time, if not all of the time, is the face. And so it is something which always people look at and it is also something which we often judge people based upon. And so it is something which is the most or one of the most honorable parts of the body that we consider to be honorable. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will mention this in the Qur'an. In a number of places, Allah azza wa jalla refers to people's faces. Not because uh, it, is a, it is only referring to the face as being the part that is rewarded or punished, but because it is a kinai, it is a metaphor for the rest of the body. And it is something which people honor or not. And that is why Allah azza wa jalla, for example, speaks about faces on that day being bright. Meaning on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, they will be bright and enlightened. And other faces being darkened. As Allah says in Surah Al Imran, and that day there will be faces which are enlightened or brightened, and there are faces which will be darkened upon that day. So it's not just the face, obviously, that those people will be rewarded for or that they will be punished for, respectively. It is the whole body. But Allah refers to that particular part of the body. And that is why the people of Islam and the people of, 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 uh, of Iman and Tawheed. When they worship Allah Azza wa Jal, when we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the greatest act of worship that we perform on a regular daily basis is the salah. And the greatest part of that salah that we perform or the part of that salah that brings us closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on a regular basis is the sajda. And what is the sajda except placing what is the most noble and honorable part of the body on the ground before our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala in submission and in humility. And so Allah Azza wa Jal, you know, as, as the Prophet وسلم, told us that we were, he was commanded to make sajda upon the seven limbs. Two of those limbs are the nose and the forehead. 
And those are the two things that Allah mentions amongst the Arabs and the Arabs generally would also specify from the face. So the face is something which is specified and then from the face the two parts of the Arabs often specify are the nose and the forehead. They are often also specified even more. And so likewise here Allah is referring to these people even though he says faces, Allah is referring all, all to them. And that is because the people of, of, of kufr and disbelief and the people of shirk would often turn their noses up and turn their faces away and they would frown and they would, you know, all of those things, they would show pride and arrogance and haughtiness through their facial features when it came to worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or believing in the Qur'an or accepting the prophethood of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa But the people that are being referred to here, when Allah azza wa says, وُجُوهٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ خَاشِعَةٌ who Allah azza wa is referring to is, as Muhsin Khan puts in his brackets, it's referring to the disbelievers. And you have some of the scholars of tafsir amongst the salaf, they specified all of the disbelievers, like Yahya ibn Salam, rahimahullah, he said that it's referring to all of the believers. Another specified a group of the believers, such as the narration of Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhumah, that he said that it's referring to Jews and the Christians. And that's by way of example, as we've said before, that when you have some of the scholars say that it is all, and others say it is a specific group, then what they're referring to, those who say it's a specific group, they're referring to it by way of example. And that's because uh, when he says that he's referring to the, 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 the Jews and the Christians, and the common denominator between all of them is that they are all disbelievers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that on that day, meaning on Yawm al-Qiyamah, because Allah in the previous verse says, has they come to you the news of the overwhelming event. And the overwhelming event, as we said, is Yawm al-Qiyamah, or the punishment of the fire. right? And so now Allah says, and on that day, so Allah is still referring to that, on that day, uh, you will find faces that are khashi'ah, the word khashi'ah means that they will be downcast or that they will be humbled. Qatada uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said the meaning of the word khashi'ah is dhalilah, meaning that they will be humbled. And others said, such as Sufyan, that they will be humbled by the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The word khashi'ah is anything which is humbled and anything which uh, which uh, which makes itself, uh, which humbles itself and makes itself small in front of something else. That is called khasha in Arabic language. So anything which is humbled, anything which, which becomes still and stops and s- makes itself smaller in front of something else, this is called khasha in Arabic language. And that is why, as Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said, he said that when we say in Salah that they are the people of Khushu'a When Allah refers to in Surah Al-Mu'minun the description of the believers, the first description he gives about the successful believers when he describes them and what their description is, is that they will be The people who in the Salah who have Khushu'a. And Al-Qurtubi said that what he means is It's those people who humble themselves and they lower their heads meaning out of humility, out of humbleness, you stop and you you show your poverty and you show your need in for, before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is done physically and it's done in the way that you speak because if you were to speak in front of someone who is a you know your Lord or your, your creator and even in the world, in the dunya, uh, people speak in front of their kings and their leaders and their queens and their presidents and their prime ministers often in a very humble, lowered voice. And that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says about Yom Al-Qiyamah that the people on that day وَخَشَعَتِ الْأَصْوَاتُ لِلرَّحْمَانِ on that day as Allah Azza wa says uh, in Surah Maryam that the, uh, that the or Surah Taha that on that day the people will humble their voices or they will quieten their voices before their Lord Rahman and that is because no one will have the audacity on that day to raise their voice before Allah no one will have the audacity on that day to uh, speak in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with such a tone it is something, therefore, that is described as being khushu' because khushu' is to humble yourselves and so on and so forth. So, uh, here the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to the faces of the disbelievers, the faces of the disbelievers. And so Allah in the first verse, as we said, he asked a question. That question was to draw attention. That question was to make people think and reflect. That question was to make people think and ponder over Yom Al-Qiyamah and what will happen on that day 
to the people that will stand before their Lord for their accounting and their reckoning. And then Allah in verse 2 onwards now goes to describe those people and that situation of that day. And so the first description that Allah gives is those people who in this world didn't have khushu'ah. In this world, they didn't humble themselves before Allah. In this world, they didn't lower their voices before Allah meaning that they didn't lower their opinions and their voices and submit themselves to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said and what His Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But rather, they raised their voices above Allah and above His commands and above what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered. And they were haughty and they were arrogant. And so those people who didn't show any khushu' and humility and humbleness in this life, they will on the day of judgment be forced to be humble in front of Allah Azza wa Jal on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And one of the beauties of the Sharia and one of the mercies of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala is that you will see throughout the Sharia that those people who humble themselves before Allah in this life through Iman and through Tawheed and through worship and through loving Allah Azza wa Jal and obedience to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, Allah Azza wa Jal will honor them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Just as those people who leave off those things that Allah made haram in this world because of the evil that they contain, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will honor them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So for example, the believers leave off alcohol in this world. The males from amongst the believers, they leave off, uh, they leave off, for example, wearing silk in this world. They leave off wearing gold jewelry in this world. And other things that they give up for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know from the Quran that when Allah Azza wa Jal gives us the description of the people of Jannah, Allah Azza wa Jal describes them as people who will drink wine that doesn't intoxicate. And that Allah Azza wa describes them as wearing robes of silk. And that Allah Azza wa will give them to adorn themselves with gold and silver and so on and so forth. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honors people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah who in this world for that short period of time that they stayed upon this in, in this dunya, they, for, they, they, they forewent all of those things. They gave up all of those things. They sacrificed all of those things in the hopes of the greater reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And here we see the reverse also. Those people who didn't give up anything, those people who didn't turn away from who, who turned away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they never showed any humility before Allah. Never once did they lower their heads before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Never once did they lower themselves before their Lord and the Creator and prostrate before Him in this world. Never once did they raise their hands and turn to Allah Azza wa in dua. They didn't beseech Allah, they didn't worship Allah, they didn't turn to Allah. And if they did turn to Allah, it was with shirk. If they did turn to Allah and make dua to Allah or, or offered some other types and forms of worship to Allah Azza wa Jal, it, it was alongside other deities and other gods. It was with shirk, with associating partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah will be made to be humble. And they will be humbled to Allah alone, before Allah Azza wa Jal alone. There will be not, no humbling before any other creation. It will only be towards the Creator subhanahu wa ta'ala. But on that day, Allah Azzawajal will humble them in such a way that it will not be a humbling of respect and honor in the way that the believers who humble themselves before Allah in this life are honored by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here in the dunya, the one who worships Allah alone with tawheed, Allah honors them. And Allah raises them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses them. And Allah Azzawajal rewards them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them a high station in this life and in the next. But those people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah who in this world refused to humble themselves before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah they will stand before Allah Azza wa Jal and the way that they will be humbled is through the punishment of the fire. They will be humbled before Allah through His punishment, through His wrath and through the fire of hell. And so this is the difference between those two things. Those people who in this world turn to Allah Azza wa Jal in Tawheed, Allah honors them. And those people who in this world turn away from Allah, show arrogance, they will be humbled before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And Allah Azza wa Jal will take the humility of the believers in this world and He will honor them through that humility by giving them places of honor and ranks of high stations and reward the likes of which they cannot imagine. And those people who in this world are arrogant and they're proud and they're haughty to haughty to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, Allah Azza wa Jal on that day will humble them through His punishment and through his fire. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on in verse number three to say, nasiba, toiling and weary. Toiling and weary. Or in the translation of Sahih International, working hard and exhausted. And Mufti Taqi says, laboring and exhausted. 
and and Muhsin Khan laboring and then in brackets hard in the worldly life by worshipping others besides Allah weary and then in brackets in the hereafter with humility and disgrace Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes these people as being amilatun nasiba toiling and weary what does that mean toiling and where is that referring to and what does it mean weary and where does that refer to uh, Abdul Razak, the famous scholar of the Salaf, uh, the famous scholar of Hadith and Tafsir and, and so on and so forth, Abdul Razak al-San'ani, rahimahullah ta'ala, from the teachers of the likes of Imam Ahmad and others, who died in the year 211 of the Hijrah, from the great scholars of Yemen, rahimahullah ta'ala, he has a Tafsir in which he gathered the Tafsir of the Salaf, uh, the Tafsir of Abdul Razak. Uh, and his Tafsir is from the earliest collections of Tafsir that we have. So. You know, from the early collections of tafsir that we have of the narrations of the Salaf is like the tafsir of Al-Tabari and Ibn Abi Hatim and Abdul Razak. These are from the earliest collections of tafsir that we have that have survived till our time. Uh, Abdul Razak mentions, um, he mentions a statement of one of the scholars of the Tabi'een, a man by the name of, or a scholar by the name of Abu Imran al-Jawni. And he says that uh, during the Khilaf of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu an, he said that he passed by a monk. And he, someone drew his attention towards the monk as they were walking past him. And he said that when he looked at this monk, he saw a man who was working hard and he was you know, throwing himself into his worship and the way that he was worshipping Allah and, or his God and so on, the way that he was living his life. And as we know, monks you know, in their monasteries and so on, they live a certain life of abandoning the dunya and working hard and and you know their form of worship and they they do what they do and everyone when you say the word monk you have this mental image of what they do and how they live and the way that they conduct themselves so umar radiallahu an was told to look at this man and he looked at him and he brought tears to his eyes he began to cry so someone said to him oh oh umar oh oh, oh, oh khalif of the muslims this man's a christian he's a monk why are you crying he said, because he reminded me of the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they are toiling, toiling and weary, as they enter the blazing fire. He said, I am crying because I look at this man's hard work and I know that all it will lead him to is the fire of hell. And so this is a narration that is, you know, shows subhanAllah how we should always make dua to Allah Azza wa Jalla. Always ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that He keeps us guided upon the straight path, and that Allah Azza wa Jalla keeps us firm upon Iman, and that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives us life and death upon Iman and resurrects us with the people of Iman to come on Yom Al Qiyamah, having toiled and worked hard and spent spent your life, decades even, in what you consider to be worship and consider to be good goodness and so on, and then to find that none of it. Uh, none of it uh, has any any place in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is from the greatest of losses to be experienced by a person on the day of judgment and so Allah Azza wa Jalla refers to the people of the fire these people who will be downcast and humbled as they enter the fire on Yom Al-Qiyamah Allah Azza wa Jalla gives us here another description so these are descriptions of those people on, in, in the fire and from those descriptions is that they are amilatun nasiba they are toiling and weary amil means someone who's constantly working right and that's why you know in arabic language if you say amil the the general translation of the word amil is a worker anyone that works is considered to be amil allah is really saying that these people are laboring they're toiling they're constantly working how are they constantly working and nasib means that they are weary the word nasiba means that they're exhausted so we see from those two descriptions then that when Allah says that they're toiling and they're, and, they're, and they're working, that it's not just someone who works a short while. It's not just someone who, who's doing a couple of hours here or there or a day here or a day there or a week here or they worked for a few years and then they stopped and they relaxed. These are people who are exhausted by the amount of work that they have done. But what does that refer to? Some of the scholars of tafsir such as Ibn Abbas, he said, that they will be working and toiling away in the fire, meaning that they will be punished in the fire, and that that is what their toiling and weariness refers to. Uh, others from the Tabi'een, such as Al Hasan Al Basri, Rahimahullah, and Sa'id Ibn Jubayr, Rahimahullah Taala, they said, this person is one 
who didn't work for the sake of Allah, their labor and their exhaustion and their weariness and their toiling wasn't for the sake of Allah in this world. So therefore, on normal Qiyamah, they will be made to, they will be toiled or they will be exhausted and they will be laboring and they will be weary as they are chained and thrown into the fire. So it refers to uh, their punishment in the fire, that their punishment is one which is which will be exhausting. It is one which will be extremely intense upon them. Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, said something similar. He said these were people who were too arrogant and too proud to worship Allah and obey Him in the dunya. So therefore Allah will make them exhausted and weary and laboring in the fire of hell in terms of the punishment that they receive. Uh, and Al-Dahaq ibn Muzahim, he said something similar. He said that they will be made to work in the fire. Meaning from the punishment of the fire is that they will have to work in the fire. So he said, for example, they will be made to climb mountains of burning fire or mountains of iron that is mounted by fire that they will be made to work. So it's not just that they're standing in one place and being punished by Allah over and over again. No, they will be forced to have to work and to do things that will only increase them in exhaustion and in toiling and in labor and in weariness and all of it is different forms of punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is why he said, It is continuous working that is being referred to their weariness and their toiling. Ta'ala, he said that they were amilatun fi dunya bil ma'asi. The laboring part of the verse refers to the evil that they did in this world. The exhaustion part will come in the next world as they are punished in the fire. And so from these statements of the Salaf, these statements now of Ibn Abbas and Ikrima and Hassan Qatada, Sa'id ibn Jubayr rahimahumullah wa radiallahu anhum and the others from amongst the scholars of tafsir, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us an image of these people on Yawm al-Qiyamah. That either they were referring to, either it's referring to the evil that they did in this life, and therefore Allah will, will, will punish them accordingly in the next life, or it's referring to all of it in the next life. That is referring to the punishment and the description of the type of punishment that they will receive uh, on the Day of Judgment. So just as the people of Jannah, when they go into Jannah, they will live. So you don't just... You know, it's not the existence of Jannah for the believers is not just an existence of nothing where they don't do anything and they're just rewarded. But we know that in Jannah people will visit. We know in Jannah there is a suq, a marketplace. We know in Jannah that there are servants. We know in Jannah that people will speak and they will visit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they will, all of these different things in Jannah that will take place that we have a general description of. So the people are not just there in some type of camatose state. They're not just there like in a coma or some type of existence where nothing goes on and they've just been giving things. There are things that people can do and it is a life that they can live. And so therefore it seems that Allah knows best that some of the Salaf are saying that likewise in the fire, the people of the fire, and it's not necessarily that they're working or they're going to a suq or anything, but that Allah from the types and forms of punishment that they will be given is that they will have to do things that will only exhaust them more. So, for example, whether it's trying to find food, which will be from the tree of Zakum, or trying to seek water and something to quench their thirst, will be that, which will be that boiling pus that they will be given to drink, or whether, whatever it may be, but they are toiling and laboring away within the fire. And Allah makes that from the punishments that they receive and from the, uh, you know, the, different, uh, the different ways and forms of, of the punishment of the fire that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will, will place upon them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then in verse number 4 he says tasla naran as they enter the blazing fire and that's the translation of professor abdul halim uh, sahih international they will enter to burn in an intensely hot fire and mufti taqi they will enter into the scorching fire and muhsin khan they will enter in the hot blazing fire so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says tasla naran they will enter the blazing Fire. And Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that the word hamiyah, it means ishtadda that it's intense, that it's heat will be extremely intense. That is the meaning of the word hamiyah. Tasla means that they will be made to enter, they will reach a point in the fire. And then Allah gives a description of the fire and he says it is hamiyah, it is intense, it is scorching, it is blazing. Ibn Ashur 
Rahimahullah he said that Allah Azza wa in this verse, he describes the fire as being hamia to show that there is no limit to its intensity of heat. That there is no limit to its intensity of heat, but rather that it is always intense. So normally when you have a fire, you light the fire. And what happens to that fire is that it builds up and builds up and builds up and increases in strength and in heat until it reaches its pinnacle of, you know, whatever that temperature may be, depending on how much fuel it's given and whatever the, set, the te- temperature is going to be set at, it will reach a pinnacle or a point of extreme heat. And then slowly but surely over time it starts to burn out and becomes weak and weak and weak until it extinguishes. But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he says it is now on hamia, it is always intense. It is sifatun lazima. It is something which is always a part of the fire, that intensity. So it has already been lit. And it has already, as we know from a number of hadith, that the Prophet said that it is already in existence, that Allah has already lit it, that the fire is already there, that it is already burning intensely and with extreme rage and with great intensity. And that it's not something, and that is why it is from the Aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, as you will find in all of the books of the Salaf, when they would speak about the Aqeedah, they would say, That the fire and the paradise are true. Meaning it's not just a concept, it's not just a metaphor, it's not just, no, it is actually physically there, and it is something which is makhluqa, it is already in existence. And it's something which we know because the Prophet ﷺ, in a number of hadith, he spoke about going and seeing and looking into paradise and being in paradise and looking into the fire and seeing some of the people of the fire and some of the punishments of the fire. And we know from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that he said concerning the fire that the fire ishtakat ila rabbiha, it complained to its Lord and it said, Akalat ba'di ba'da. Oh Allah, some parts of me are devouring other parts. So Allah commanded or allowed for it to take two breaths in the year. Nafasin fi shita or nafasin fi saif. One in the winter, one in the summer. So the Prophet said that the extreme heat that you find and the bitter cold that you find of the winter, the extreme heat of the summer, those are from the breathings of shaitan or from the two breaths of shaitan. And other ahadith of the Prophet which all number one go to establish the fact that the fire is already in existence, already created, as is Jannah. And number two, that it is extremely hot and raging. Extremely hot and extremely raging already. That it's not something which is going to be lit on your Qiyamah and then it starts, no. And that is why Allah Azza wa describes it in this verse as being Hamia. It is already there. It is already something which is extremely hot. And Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, said something similar. He said, Hamiyatan it is extremely hot. Meaning that it's been raging and burning for a great deal of time, for a long time. And that is why he said that the tanur, it is said for the oven, the clay oven, when they light the oven, they call it hamiyat tanur. They say that it's considered to be a tanur or lighting the tanur, the, the blazing of the oven is called hamiyat tanur lighting the the clay oven and that's because the, the heat of the oven will become ex- extense or ex- extremely hot and al-kisai uh, the famous scholar of the arabic language and also one of the qurra one of the the scholars of the qiraat he said the arabs say shams, that the rays of the sun are extremely hot and they call it hami because it, it denotes that word hami it, it refers to something which is scorching or blazing, or extremely hot. One of the other things that the Arabs use the word hamia for then, uh, or hima, or the, you know the root word of hamia, which is hima and hamia, what they use that for also is to denounce or to to refer to a boundary, refer to a boundary, and so a boundary in the Arabic language can also be called a hima, and that's because to fall into someone's boundary, like for example the king has a boundary or a ruler has a boundary or you have a boundary that no one's allowed to step foot upon, that is also called hima, because to fall and transgress beyond that is something which is problematic and will bring punishment and will bring uh, prosecution and so on and so forth. And that is why in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, when the Prophet ﷺ said that indeed that which is halal is clear, that which is haram is clear, and in, in between are those uh, things which are doubtful, the Prophet ﷺ said, Inna li kulli malikin hima. 
Because every king has a hima, has a boundary. And the boundary of Allah is that which he has made haram. Meaning that if you overstep that boundary, what happens? You may well be punished by the fire. And so that is why it is also called hima. Al-Imam Al-Mawardi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that it is called hamiyah, the fire, uh, for a number of reasons. The first of them, he said, is because it is da'imatul hami. It is always raging. It is always raging. وَلَيْسَتْ كَنَّارِ الدُّنْيَا أَلَّتِي يَنْقَطِعُ حَمْيُهَا بِانْطِفَائِهَا And it's not like the fires of this world that rage for a while and then they extinguish themselves or someone extinguishes them. Not like the fires of the, of the dunya. You, you go to your garden or you go to a place and you light a fire. That fire starts and it's going to start off you know, slowly in heat and it builds and builds and builds the more fuel that you place upon it. Like a barbecue. Anyone that's done a barbecue, you place the coals on, you heat them up, you, you put fuel on and so on. And it gets to a temperature when it's extremely hot. But what happens over time is sooner or later that coal, that fuel will burn out. Those coals can no longer hold that heat. And over time it will extinguish itself. And so it's always a peak and then it drops. Whereas the fire of the how fire is not like that. It is always going to be raging in that way. And it will continue to be like that for all of eternity. <coughs> the second reason he said it is called Hamiya is because it refers to those people who have, as we mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, concerning the boundary of Allah he said it's because it refers to those people who, because of their sins, have now become fuel for the fire. As Allah Azza wa Jalla says elsewhere in the Quran, Ya yuhal ladheen amanu, qu anfusakum ahlikum nara, wa quuduhan nasu wal hijara. O you who believe, save yourselves and your families from the fire, its fuel is men and stones, it is humans and stones. And so likewise, those people who do the haram, they, they break the laws of Allah Azza wa Jalla, they transgress upon the boundaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have essentially uh, falling into the hima of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is one of the other reasons why it is called hamia. A third reason why it is called hamia is that it is to show that it's something which is unbearable, that it is defended, meaning that these uh, the, the, the fire of hell is something which is unbearable and touchable. And uh, the Imam al-Mawardi, he says that the Arabs say concerning the lion defending its den, they say يَحْمِلْ أَسَدُ عَرِينَهُ that the lion is defending its den and it's called hima. Al-himaya in the Arabic language can also mean to defend. comes from the same word. And so likewise it is from defending, meaning don't, you don't want to go into the den of the lion. Right? You go into the den of the lion, then you're going to get eaten or you're going to get beat, bit or you're going to get attacked or whatever it may be. So you want to be careful when it comes to the den of the lion. So likewise, it is called hamia here because it's something which is a warning. This is a fire that you don't want to even come close to. You don't want to approach it. You want to be as far away from it as you can. Save yourselves from the fire as the Prophet ﷺ said, Save yourselves from the fire even if it is with that date stone or a part of a date. And if you can't, then with a good word. And so the Prophet was telling us, stay away from that fire, beware of that fire. And so it is called Himaya or Hima or Hamiya. Uh, one of its descriptions is Hamiya for that reason also. And number five, oh sorry, number four, I think this is number four. The fourth reason that Imam al-Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala gives is that though it is Hamiya, is raging and it is intense because of the anger that Allah Azza feels towards those people because the, the fire is from the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's from the wrath of Allah azza wa jal it is the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he punishes those people who go into the fire because of the evil that they committed the shirk that they committed and so on and so forth and that is why in the in the uh, in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in which he said that the fire said to the the the, the, the jannah the paradise that the poor enter into me, the, 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 the fire said to the paradise rather, the fire said to the pa- paradise that it will be the arrogant and the proud and the haughty that will enter into me. And paradise replied and it said to the fire that it will be the weak and the humble that will enter into me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the paradise that you are my mercy. 
I will give you to whomsoever I please. And then he said to the fire, you are my punishment, I will give you to whomsoever I please. And so the fire is from the wrath of Allah Azza wa and it is from the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that those people who have committed shirk with him or those people who committed major sins and Allah Azza wa doesn't forgive them for those sins, they need to be purified and cleansed by the fire, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place them within that punishment of his subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is hamia. It is always waging, always intense. And we know that the, the fire is of degrees. Just as you have in Jannah, darajat, you have uh, ranks and stations that ascend. Then likewise in the fire, we have what we call darakat, with a kaf, which essentially means stations that descend. Things that go down and down and down. And that is why we know that Allah just says concerning the hypocrites in the fire, that the people of hypocrisy will be in the lowest depths of the fire. And so that is uh, what Imam al-Mawardi says, the four reasons as to why Allah describes the fire as being hamiyah. Okay, inshallah ta'ala, I think we will, we will stop there for today. If anyone has any questions uh, regarding anything that we've covered today, um, you can inshallah post those questions. And if not, then inshallah ta'ala, we will conclude for today. Bi'adhanillahi ta'ala. I'll just give like a few moments uh, for anyone that may have any questions. You can post them. If not, then inshallah ta'ala, we will conclude for today. And inshallah ta'ala, I will see you all again next week. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu ala nabira Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.